So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Predators, uh-huh, uh-huh. Marvel, uh-huh, uh-huh. DC, uh-huh. maybe it doesn't all quite stay. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo, and with me is Eric Walensky. Say hi, Eric. Hey, folks. How's everybody doing out there? Good, good, good. Uh, with us today, we have a very special guest, someone who is definitely able to speak on our topic this week, and that is Brian Gazy. Hey, everybody. Nice to join you. Hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. We know that this episode is uh, going to be near and dear to your heart. Well, there's more than meets the eye to this episode. That's right, folks. This week, we're going to be touching on Transformers. We're going to discuss the old cartoon, Transformers the movie, and Michael Bay's first entry into the Transformers universe. So, gentlemen, why don't we start off by talking about our thoughts of the original cartoon series that created this love for this property. We, we've discussed uh, a little bit about why some of these properties even existed in the first place. And pretty much anybody at Hasbro will tell you the cartoon was only invented to sell toys. Uh, that's the, the pretty much the only reason that they, they made the cartoon was uh, a half-hour commercial every morning for the kids to uh, watch before they go to school and talk to all their friends about Transformers. This marketing never completely worked on me, per se, um, or at least it didn't work on my mom because uh, I was told I could be into Star Wars or G.I. Joe, or Transformers, but not all three. So uh, I went with Star Wars, and I only had a couple Transformers, but I did watch the cartoon. I did like the cartoon. What I'm seeing now as an adult (laughs) is Transformers makes no sense. Would either (laughs) of you agree or disagree with that statement? I would completely agree. See, and I'm going to have to disagree with you guys. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up with the cartoon, um, I think I've watched all the movies to this point, and I'll be honest with you, I still have a bin of Transformer toys from recent films in the storage room right now. And for me, it's been absolutely fantastic to not only kind of relive childhood with the old movies to an extent, but to also have kids of my own now and to go for the second round of exposure to all the films, whether it's the classic stuff or the new stuff, and to be able to live through this with the kids as well and share all these characters and names and backplots with them. So for me, I'm a big fan, but maybe it's nostalgia bait for me, but I'm all in. No, that's great. I agree with that for sure. I, I don't have anything against the Transformers. I just think as a property, as a storyline, it, it really makes no sense. And, and this is my opinion. I, and, and as Phil has said, uh, every opinion counts, but they're not always correct. So uh, I'm just going to throw my two cents out there because I just recently rewatched the pilot of the Transformers cartoon. 
and this ship crashes. The Decepticons are on the ship with the Autobots, and they wake up first. The Decepticons do. They run away. They immediately want to make a base and just start conquering the universe with with no real explanation. And the Autobots wake up, and they're like, we have to stop the Decepticons with no real explanation (laughs) about anything. And uh, they run into a couple of humans, Spike and Danny. Spike's the dad. Danny's the, the kid. And they're just like, wow, how do you guys transform? Why do you guys transform? And it's Hound that just says, well, that way we can be disguised. As an alien race that came to Earth and they decide that they're just going to turn themselves into cars. And I, I don't know why the Decepticons felt the need to hide themselves. They, they outgun and outmatch every human on earth and any weapon system that they have so i don't know why disguise was necessary they could have just destroyed the entire world in in a matter of moments <laughs> well brian would you like to tell us your thoughts of uh the original series and then jump off where what eric just shared oh man well they, they disguise because it's cool and uh <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> We already had robots that could walk and maybe flail their arms around and, and yell Danger Will Robinson and stuff. But man, something that turned into something cool and, and you know, something that, that young boys especially really loved, right? Construction trucks and big rigs. And Megatron had a, a shrinkage issue apparently, but he turned into a gun, right? I mean, these were all things that kids just went crazy about with toys back in the day. So to have something that you can flip back and forth and have a two-in-one, I just think it created, you know, imagination and excitement and everything else. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they could have done a little bit more plot line development back then, but I agree. I mean, it was all about, you know, selling toys and getting people going at that point in time because, you know, you didn't have all these other outlets to, to sell things, right? You had to sell to the toy stores and then you had to sell to the consumer somehow through TV spot, but um, maybe not the strongest backstory how they came to be, but I'll I'll take it, man. <laughs> yeah, that was it. You know, they they just had television. They had cartoons and commercials. There was really no other way to reach people, so they did it as as best they could. And like all children's cartoons, they capitalized on that. You would sit in front of the TV and get dumber by watching different shows and cartoons, and that's how they sold. It was it was perfect. It was the, the smartest way to market back then. And so Hasbro made a killing on the toys. And I agree. I, I'm 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 with you one hundred percent, Brian. It's 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 fun. It was a it was a great toy. I wanted them. I just I had to choose my allegiance and I went with Star Wars. But my friends had them and I was always fascinated with, you know, Optimus Prime especially. And uh mm-hmm. later on uh I really liked Retgar from the from the 86 movie there he was one of the, the motorcycle because mm-hmm. there i don't think there'd been a motorcycle to that point and i thought he was super duper cool eric idol's voice too yeah so i enjoy i enjoy all of that from from that perspective but i think and we'll get further into it of course i think that is where transformers ultimately suffers into the future now and with Michael Bay's script and Michael Bay's movie, that there is no real logic behind the Transformers. So if if you don't buy in with the childlike innocence of, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're, they're robots. Of course, they turn into trucks. It, you know, 
if you don't buy in there, then then any sort of explanation. And I've been racking my brain because I knew we were going to be recording this. And I'm like, how do you make Transformers make sense? How would I? Because I'm famous for rewriting Star Wars scripts. J.J. Uh, Abrams, call me anytime. But uh, <laughs> but I was like, yeah. how would I rewrite Transformers and make this make sense that a race of aliens comes to Earth and decides their best move is to look like trucks? And I can't figure it out. I can't crack that code. It doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. The other thing that gets a little uh, convoluted with the Transformers is the time period over which everything happens, because in in the cartoon it's like thousands of years, and the cartoon that they came to Earth, and then the cartoon actually takes place in two thousand five, and then in the Michael Bay movie, of course, uh, Megatron had been in the ice they estimated like from some point in bc and Mm -hmm. and it's just trying to figure out you know how and why they decided that turning into trucks and that they even had that ability luckily to to do that like they happened to find a planet where they had a device that they could go oh great we like if they went to an entirely like you know like they went to endor and were with the ewoks like what would they be turning into like wooden hang gliders <laughs> <laughs> well maybe that's where some of the some of the beast war stuff comes from i don't know maybe mm-hmm. it's just a matter of what the environment Ooh, was beast war that's exactly right yeah which is probably the only transformers thing that i have not really been able to get into for some reason i like i like the mechanical aspect and when you have a animal's body expanding and twisting and, and folding out into a robot, I just I just never really follow that one. <laughs> so you do have a line. You do have a line. I do have a line. <laughs> yeah, my line is the cheetah and the gorilla and all the all the all the <laughs> But that calls yeah. into question what about the Dinobots? Oh see, I'm okay with those. No, I love Dinobots. I absolutely love them. I thought they were the coolest thing because I loved dinosaurs as a kid and then that love drew into Transformers and blended, and I thought it was so cool, but it makes no sense, none whatsoever. Right. Yeah, yeah, and when you watch the cartoon, they gave the, the Dinobots the low IQ for some reason, right? They talk yeah. funny, you know, me, Grimlock, and all that stuff, but <laughs> I, I think the reason why I accept the Dinobots more than the Beast Wars is because the Dinobots still look like bots when they're transformed. They still look like a metal mechanical mm-hmm. thing like a mecha godzilla or, <laughs> right. or you know anything like that right it's not trying to look like a like a mammal that's true that's true yeah i will say that they they set up in the lore of transformers that they can copy any machine so that's where mm-hmm. i just nowadays you know when i'm older and can actually think about it it doesn't make sense that they can transform into dinosaurs or animals or you know whatever it might be because how how do they copy the organic life? They kind of left it just because they wanted to sell toys. They just left it open to animals and dinosaurs and insects, right? They had the insectobots or whatever they were called <laughs> in Transformers the movie. There were the shark bots. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Eric, back back to your point earlier. I mean, maybe they chose cars and trucks because you know they they were free. If you look at uh, railroads. Maybe that was a little too restrictive. <laughs> True. <laughs> Staying on the tracks. And you go to commercial airlines, and man, fuel prices are through the roof, and there's so much competition in airlines. I mean, 
dealing with the passengers and the snacks. I mean, maybe that was just too much for them. So, <laughs> well, they figured they figured cars and trucks was the easy solution. In in that pilot of the cartoon, what ends up happening is that somehow there's a volcano erupts, and that's what reactivates the the system of the Ark or the name whatever the ship was. I think it was called the Ark, and and this little probe goes out and it says exploring, exploring, exploring. And it goes out and it finds a jet and it just scans the jet. And then there's a computer back in the, in the arc that then scans one of the robots and he turns into Starscream. And then he wakes up and then he starts getting all the other. And so while this probe is out there scanning technology at random, these other robots are then get assigned whatever they turn into. And then same thing when, when uh, after they leave, somehow Optimus gets woke up. Oh, because Starscream shoots a, a half of the mountain to bury the ship, and that somehow wakes up the computer again, and then they, mm-hmm. they scan Optimus Prime, and it just happens to find a semi-truck at random and then turns him into... Uh, and then the next cutscene, though, he's got all his Transformer buddies, so the thing is just out there at random... Uh, picking technology and and again not to you know for a kid that makes sense right like why is he a semi-truck oh because the robot went and picked but for an adult i'm like but but wait i have more questions (laughs) (laughs) and one of those questions is where did they get their names they're called like you know hound Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. ratchet and you know optimus jazz jazz (laughs) Why, where did the name Jazz come from? Does that mean something on Cybertron? <laughs> no, it was just a way to have Scatman Crothers play the voice character. <laughs> I, I, I know. See, I'm looking at this through the lens of an adult now, not a kid who just goes, yeah, that's Jazz. Of course that's Jazz. Well, I, I think the the problem with the this series is truly that they were just playing to the basic wants and needs of a child. That's That's all it was. So as an adult, you can't read into it. Because it just everything falls apart, and and I think, like I said, that's why the movies I think suffer because it's hard to make that big blockbuster action film with these things that really don't have a logical origin. Yeah, I mean, they did their best to make it make sense. You know, they they talked about in in even in the cartoon that. The Decepticons and the Autobots were fighting on Cybertron, and the Decepticons wanted to rule, and the Autobots wanted to keep the peace. And so, of course, between two factions where someone is violent and another one is trying to be peaceful, they both become violent. Um, and so it, it makes sense that there's a war, and it, you know, with everything going on in the 80s, too, to try to, not to politicize this, but... Trying to make children understand war, I guess, could have been another thing they were going for. I doubt it. I doubt it was that deep. But they, there was a way to try to, you know, if you wrap your head around it the right way, to say, these ones are evil, and we are trying to save the galaxy, so we need to fight evil. Right? It's a tale as old as time. But to try to bring kids into it makes a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they then went through to Transformers the movie after the second season of the TV show, they skipped time, right? They jumped 20 years into the future mm-hmm. to 2005, and what a glorious future it looked like, right? 
Um, but they jumped forward in time and the movie transformers, the movie, if there's something that could have ruined my childhood back when I was a child, transformers, the movie could have been that point because they killed off quite a few characters that, you know, and love from the first two seasons of the show. And they truly do that to, you know, they're saying they're expanding the mythology of transformers and creating new characters so that there are new toys to buy, but they killed off Optimus Prime in the first 15 minutes. And that's a hard pill to swallow for a kid watching your favorite TV show now in a movie, in a theater. Mm-hmm. Right? Brian, how did you react when Optimus Prime died in Transformers the movie? So for me, it was a little shocking. Mm-hmm. Um Especially because he comes in, he's rocking and rolling, he's saving the day, everything's going pretty well. You have the battle, the hostage situation. You have you've got the touch playing in the background for some of this. And <laughs> such you, a great soundtrack. It, it is, we it can't is. sleep on that soundtrack. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. And fun fact, Weird Al actually did a song on that soundtrack I know. too. Dare to be stupid. Oh yeah. So good. Yeah, I can't believe that was <laughs> But anyway, so for me, you know, I just felt like the the pendulum was finally swinging in the Autobots direction during that long drawn out brutal battle right and here's optimus mm-hmm. he's going to come he's going to clean up he's going to take care of everything and then he went down so for me it was an absolute shock and a downer and throughout the rest of the movie i just kept thinking in the back of my mind how are they going to bring this guy back how is optimus going to come back right because we saw with uh, other characters um like i think even ultra magnus at one point in the movie gets you know taken apart into pieces yep, and yep. then they somehow put them back together and bring them back to life so all the way through the credits rolling i was waiting for optimus to come back and it never happened yep. so for me i felt a little little deflated at the end of that same here i even watched it again uh this weekend to prepare for this podcast and i still being almost 40 i couldn't believe that optimus was dead and gone and of course he wasn't gone forever but in the movie you would think that they would find a way to bring him back. But they transferred power to Ultra Magnus, who couldn't handle the power. And then Hot Rod picks it up at the end of the movie when he's fighting with not Megatron anymore, but Galvatron. Right. Which, you know, that's a whole other part of this movie that takes a whole new direction. But um, he's fighting with Galvatron, and he's the one that can control the light. And so Hot Rod voiced by Judd Nelson, of all people, becomes Rodimus Prime. And he's the new leader of the Autobots. And they don't, re- they don't necessarily make that clear at the end of the movie. Um, he has the power, and the power destroys the Unicron. But the Unicron explodes, and his head floats off, floats off into space, and the movie ends. Well, his head actually orbits Cybertron, so he yes. still remains... Uh, a viable character. I believe he comes back at some point in the cartoon series. I think they I might revive. I think they might revive his head at one point. That makes sense. It makes sense. Nothing ever, you know, nothing is ever gone in cartoons. Yeah, the the head floating out there in space almost reminds me a little bit of like, is that where Guardians of the Galaxy got <laughs> I, the idea yeah. of what was it? Nowhere. Yeah. The the old alien skull or whatever that they were mm-hmm. mining materials inside kind of mm-hmm. kind of led me to that. Yeah. Interesting. Now, see, this is where I think Transformers actually starts to excel. And again, this is looking through the adult lens, not necessarily the kid lens when I was a kid. 
but because they do take the risk and they do kill off characters, this this gives Transformers a little weight now. Because even as a kid, I was never completely satisfied with like the G.I. Joe or the Transformers because it was same every week. The bad guys caused some trouble. The good guys stopped them. It looked like they weren't going to be saved. And then the last minute, everything, and then it's happy ending, and the bad guys just go away, live to fight another day. And that's fine for a little while, but eventually, I don't know about you guys, as my child, inner child, was was tired of that. So when I see, like, wow, they actually took a risk here, and they, they killed off Optimus Prime, and then later on in that movie, they kill off Starscream. When Galvatron comes back, he crushes Starscream. He's gone. But I was like, wow, that's a, that's a great that's a great risk. That's this, this gives the story something. And, but reading about (laughs) making the transformers, the movie, the cartoon for 86, the writer was bound by the executives at Hasbro that they were launching that new toy line. And the script of the movie had to fit the launch of the toy line. He was bound by what the new product was going to be. So to the executives, they were just killing off Optimus Prime to bring in Rodimus Prime and Ultra Magnus and these other characters. So, so again, it goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning. This just started as a, as a long commercial, a half-hour commercial every day, and even the movie fell prey to that line of thinking. Well, yeah, and, and it's funny to think, but season five, if I remember correctly, of the cartoon, maybe it was season four, they took the movie and divided it up into five episodes and just made that part of the TV show. Right. So really, they didn't have a whole lot of new content to share in the future, you know, after the movie came out. They even, one of the seasons was a rehash of old episodes, but they had Optimus Prime do a lead-in and basically was telling stories of the old um, the old battles of the Autobots and the Decepticons. So a, a lot of their future content was just rehashing the old content with a shiny new burner plate on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny that you, you know, we talk about how they rehashed and, and brought char- new characters in to sell new toys because in 2007... They wanted to bring Transformers to a new generation, which they had been trying to make a Transformers movie, a live-action movie, for a long time. And Steven Spielberg finally got attached as a producer, and he said he was going to finally make it happen. And, you know, putting putting a, a property like Transformers in the hands of Steven Spielberg seems like a great idea. Because he has such reverence for the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, not only did he make some of the best movies of the 80s, but he grew up during that time period where the 80s was such a pop culture phenomenon. And so I would think, you know, I remember hearing about in like 2003 or 2004 that Steven Spielberg was attached to Transformers. And I thought, this is really exciting. Something that I loved back in the 80s is going to be handled by the man that made the best movies in the 80s. This is great. And he went out and got Michael Bay to direct the film. And, you know, a lot of people have a lot of nasty things to say about Michael Bay. But I will say, back at the end of the 90s, if you wanted a big-budget action movie, Michael Bay was where you went. You know, the end of the 90s, 
Michael Bay reigned supreme. But into the 2000s, his movies started to show what they were, which was all explosions and, you know, sexualizing women and flashy, quick cuts of action so that you can't really see what's going on, but you know something big is going on. Mm -hmm. And him taking over Transformers in 2007 was truly just that. It was lots of explosions, lots of objectification of Megan Fox, and really, really poor directing. Well, he just never grew. He started with, like, you want a, a Michael Bay movie? I'll make a Michael Bay movie. And that's that's all he really made. And I like Michael Bay movies, most of them. but But I know what I'm getting every time I watch it. There was mm-hmm. never a new uniqueness to any of it. So he just brought his his flavor to the Transformers. Right, which originally he didn't even want to make a Transformers movie because he didn't care about Transformers when he, in the 80s. He didn't really know anything about them, which he, he had said that he truly just took the job because he wanted to do something with Steven Spielberg and then was happy he did it because he brought Transformers to people that didn't know anything about Transformers just like himself. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on the 2007 Transformers film? Yeah, so when I first heard about it, my my sister actually remembered me loving Transformers and sent a text message and said, hey, they're making a live-action Transformers movie. And I think I did the facepalm and said, oh, my God, I can't believe this is going to happen. This is going to be awful, right? Because I, I didn't see how something that, you know, given worked so well in cartoons or, or even some comics now or, or other things, things that worked well in that world. I just wasn't sure how it was going to make the transition, how it was going to be interesting or edgy or anything else. So for me, I was concerned that they were going to absolutely ruin um, my childhood and ruin what I remembered of Transformers. But as the trailers started coming out, I actually got a little bit of a chill. I got some, you know, excitement, you know, running through my body um i started to think that this actually looked pretty cool and really unique the way that they were approaching it and the way that they did try to um, maybe stick with some of the characters some of the sound effects some of the things but actually update it for those of us who have grown up now but not make it too dark or too scary um so that the kids could stick with it so i guess you know when it when it came out i had concerns when it when the announcement came out and the movie is obviously not perfect, um, but overall, I, I still think it's a fun and entertaining ride. Um, it definitely follows the Bayham approach of the, the dynamic <laughs> camera movements, the explosions everywhere. You know, there's times where you can't tell who who is punching who. That's exactly right. Um, you know, which they worked on that in the later movies. They finally panned out a little bit, but I think part of that, too, is to help with um, production, right? Because there's only so many thousands of hours you can spend rendering all this footage on the side before you you have to maybe make some sacrifices but well you, you, you know. interrupt real quick you touched on it what yeah. what did you ultimately think though of the look of the transformers like when you finally um, saw them in you know because sure. they tease it out in the movie before they finally transform fully what what was your thought on the robots um, overall, I was pleased with all of them. The only one I would say that was kind of iffy is Megatron, um, because he departed so far from the source material mm-hmm. that if you just put a picture of the original cartoon Megatron next to the Michael Bay Megatron, 
you'd have no idea it was him until you heard him say, I am Megatron, which is the first thing he does when he's breaking <laughs> right. out of cryo-freeze, <laughs> right? He has to declare who he is. Optimus, you could spot from a mile away. He's blue and red and a big truck. I mean, Bumblebee's the yellow car. I mean, you can spot all those things from a mile away. Megatron was just kind of this this generic robot monster that kind of turned into a alien airplane thing, right? So, yep. Um, you know, I think overall pretty good. Megatron, yeah, I probably could have done something better with that guy. I was very disappointed in their look. I wanted more of the smooth lines where you could clearly see where the car parts or the plane parts like Starscream, I always love that about the look of Starscream, that he had those two big shoulder, uh, I call them shoulder pads, but that was, you know, part of the of the jet. And then he had that nice streamlined, beautiful cockpit running right down the center of his chest, kind of like an emblem. I always thought that was the slickest part about the robots is how they still looked like the things they turned into where you could see the detail like, Oh, that's where the car or that's, that's his arm now, but you can clearly see if you twist it, that becomes the door. And that's what I just couldn't get over in my first watching of the transformers movie was that to me, nothing looked like there was very little except for, like you said, Optimus, you could still see a little of the semi bumblebee. You could see a little bit more of the uh, Camaro, but then, the rest of them just you had the you had the blades of the helicopter, um, but otherwise I just didn't see I didn't see the cars or the or the or the vehicles in the robots, and that was a that was a letdown. Yeah, the only the only one that I would say is Bumblebee, right? Because the the doors mm-hmm. were his quote unquote wings for a bumblebee which bumblebee didn't have wings in the comic but or the cartoon excuse me but they made it so that the camaro doors were his bumblebee wings and optimus prime the windshield was his chest plate just like Mm -hmm. in the in the cartoon but that's pretty much where it stopped and i will tell you i i had a I had trouble when I rewatched the movie, even when I watched the movie the first time, knowing who was who, because especially the Decepticons, they were such a departure from what they looked like right. in the cartoon. Frenzy looks nothing like Frenzy. And that's, right. and that's what Brian was you saying know? with trying to figure out who was who. That's, mm-hmm. that's where I completely lost it. That's why I wish there would have been more of the vehicle in the robot to identify better in, in those action sequences. Um, because when, when Bumblebee fights Barricade, mm-hmm. Barricade was so generic to me. But if you would have had like the sirens or, or the, the lights on his chest or, or something. And you know what? Maybe they're there in some subtle manner. But just in the quick, fast action, I couldn't tell. Right. So I like my toy designers to work hard for their money. So <laughs> you think of how complex the transformations were in the movie that they did look that dramatically different. And uh, it, the toys, I would say, generally dis, did not disappoint. Um, a lot of the toys were just as complex in the transformations. And it's amazing to see that, you know, the movie sto- studio or toy creators or whoever came up with the designs first were, were actually able to match that, make that translate as well to the handheld toys. So you'll give an A-plus for sure then to to the toy that was now being sold in 2007. The toy? Oh, I love the toys. But it's not something that you can get kids together 
and throw some some transformers on the ground in front of them and they can just play because the the transformations are so complex you're sitting there for five to 15 minutes wow just to switch modes right whereas in the old day click 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 you know a handful of things a twist a pop and you're done yep so i would say mm-hmm. the the old school toys were much more conducive to playing you know the new toys take so much time that it's almost more of a display item mm-hmm. right because if you're playing transformers toys with your buddies in the old day and he shoots a rocket at you you can transform and fly out of there before it hits you with the new toys you're gone you're going to be sit there half change and you're going to get blown up <laughs> Uh, Which kind of happens in the movie, right? Because they take so long to transform sometimes. (laughs) It's very dramatic. It it builds intensity by taking some time. It's so dramatic. It's so dramatic. And and it doesn't make any sense because there are some moments where it's taking forever purely for the the camera, right? They're, They're making it dramatic for the camera. And then there's other times where it's like, boom, and they're transformed. Like Starscream at one point just jumps in the air. Yes. And becomes the jet and flies away. But another point, he's the jet and he lands and it's slowly, dramatically watching him change. Also, and this is a little off topic, but uh, how come Sam Witwicky can run as fast as a Transformer? Oh, yeah. Watching him run down the streets of Mission City while the Transformers run right next to him and say, run, Sam. (laughs) Get to the building. (laughs) He was outrunning Barricade at one point, too, where he tells Megan Fox, go, don't go in here, go. And I'm just like the sheer science behind the fact that a 30-foot-tall robot stride, even slowly, is still faster than the... 27 to 42 steps it takes sam to run that same distance he'd have to be the flash to stay ahead of the transformers maybe it's all those barrel rolls the transformers are doing in the background they do a lot of uh flippy tumbly (laughs) stuff in spots (laughs) it's like they're playing at that point ba-doom ba-doom (laughs) ba-doom <laughs> I could just get him now, but I want to roll. Oh, they'd, they'd have no windshields or glass left after some of those rolls. They'd just be done. <laughs> right. How, are they, how do they transform back and there's no dents or anything? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. They just had Bernie Mac on standby banging them out with hammers, right? There you go. Mm-hmm. Bernie and his cousin. Yep. <laughs> no, it's funny. I mean, definitely the, the 2007 movie. I mean, to me, I guess it's a fun ride. It's fun that I can watch it with my kids and we can kind of talk and connect. Um, I would actually say, as far as that movie goes, I think the big departure versus the cartoon material, like the biggest change in my mind, is the fact that the original cartoon followed the robots, right? Yep. The storyline, the plot, the camera shots, everything followed the robots. And once in a while, there was a human in there, right? There were these couple guys we talked about before, right? Spike and Danny. But exactly, Spike and Danny. And sometimes they were in like a exoskeleton suit, right? right? But you get to the Michael Bay films. And whether they did this because of production costs or trying to connect with people more, whatever it was, when you get to the Michael Bay movies, they completely flipped that dynamic to me. Now it was Mm -hmm. a story about humans, right? It's a story about Sam and a car or Sam and his family or these different things, right? The Witwicky history, right? And then the robots were just kind of like the the side platter, the eye candy that came into it. So again, Mm -hmm. I I think that's that's where things fundamentally changed for me is it went from being a story about robots to being a story about people and, oh, the robots are a part of it. I think that's probably the biggest change in tone that I picked up on between kind of the generations of material. 
Completely agree. And that's where I have my biggest nitpick with the franchise as a whole, the film franchise, is they truly do spend more time. And and understandably so, the budget, they, they were, they had to stay under budget for this film, which the budget was like 160 million or something like that. And the, the cost that goes into the animation of these, these Autobots and Decepticons truly takes up a huge chunk of that budget. So it's understandable that they want to focus on real world people and real world sets and try to steer clear of CGI as much as possible. But when you're making a movie about Transformers, you need to either scale it back and make it a shorter movie than two hours and 12 minutes and focus on your actual Transformers. It's like, you know, eventually we'll get to Godzilla when we do these podcasts. And one of the big crazy things about Godzilla, when they remade Godzilla in, what, 2014 or whatever year that came out, Godzilla's in the movie for 12 minutes. We can't have a movie called Godzilla and have Godzilla only in it for 12 minutes. Same thing with Transformers. You can't have a Transformers movie and have Transformers transform and fight for 40 minutes of your two-hour and 12-minute runtime. And... This is where I think we go back to the fact that Transformers just doesn't make sense. And that's why I think you had to put more human into it. Because otherwise, if you just go back to Cybertron, there's no transforming on Cybertron. Right. If you started this movie on Cybertron and saw the Cybertron Wars or whatever, they're not turning into cars and stuff. So they're not your Transformers yet. They're not your Transformers till they get to Earth. And I think we've discussed this in other movies like Aliens versus Predator, coming up with a plausible explanation for why the aliens or the predators came to Earth. And then the same thing with the Transformers. I think you run into that. Anything from space that comes to Earth that's more powerful has to have a good reason to do it and a good reason why they can't just wipe out Earth just on a whim. So I, I think that that ultimately becomes why you had to make the human element stronger because, because really the transformers, they do become secondary because they just don't make sense logically. Yeah. And Phil, I agree with your point. I think they could have maybe compressed the movie a little bit. Right. Cause I know, you know, even I've rewatched this again over the weekend too. And generally I love the action scenes. I love what's going on. But then you get to the dialogues with Sam and his parents, and he's you know searching in his room for the glasses, and right. it just takes an eternity, oh, right? I mean, there's these different mm-hmm. little funny things that could have absolutely been edited for time. And I get if it's a short movie already that they, they needed to maybe keep some filler in there, but your point is totally true. It's, it's almost a two-and-a-half-hour movie, right? It's like 142 mm-hmm. minutes. Um, they could have probably dropped a lot of those cringeworthy scenes and just focused on more of the, the meat and potatoes. Yeah, and that's when when there's a lot of criticism about Michael Bay, it's for those, you know, not just the crazy action, the frenetic pace of action where it's too close to actually see anything happening, but it's those cringy scenes too. Like if you look at this at this, you know, Eric and I in past podcasts have talked about having too many writers. Well, once again, Transformers movie had three writers. And when you have three writers on a film, you have, you know, one person that came up or three people that came up with a story and then two, those two of those three people then rewrote it as a script. And when you have three people around a table coming up with an idea for a story and 
Michael Bay, the way that he shoots and his pacing and the cringeworthy dialogue that sticks in his films that he doesn't edit out or change on set, you create this terrible recipe for bad human, quote unquote, human dialogue and really cheesy transformer dialogue. And man, it is so cheesy. Like you just said, the scene in Sam's bedroom is one of the most ridiculous scenes in any Transformers movie. And there are ridiculous scenes in Transformers movies. Trust me. Yes. Lots of them. Yes. But it's there's no reason for that to be there. The whole, you know, I don't even want to talk about what they talk about in it because it's just so stupid. <laughs> but they make his parents into bumbling idiots and he's supposed to be coming from this amazing bloodline of Witwickies, the Witwicken clan or Witwicky clan that uh, for generations have known about Transformers and have helped create Sector 7. And, you know, in the cartoons, it was still Witwicky. There was Spike and Danny Witwicky. They were the same. I don't know why they couldn't have named Sam Danny. Doesn't make any sense. But um, they've, they've created this lore in the cartoons about the family and how that family helps the Transformers. And they just make everybody that has that last name so stupid, including Sam. Shia LaBeouf did the best he could with what he was given, but man, he wasn't given a lot. Well, this sort of goes again, I'm sound like a broken record here, but the fact that transformers just doesn't really make a lot of sense. I think they kind of overcomplicated transformers, the movie right from the get go. I mean, we're, we're jumping, you, you do a little bit of a, you know, Optimus does his voiceover and then you come to Earth and you watch the military guys and then you see Sam and then you see the Secretary of Defense and all of these elements take a long time to flesh themselves mm -hmm. out. And then just when you think everything is sort of there, well, then John Turturro shows up as the leader of Sector 7 or an agent of Sector 7. <sighs> and then that adds another complicated element. And... And I think he could have just streamlined the whole thing, G going off the premise that Transformers just doesn't make sense. They could have just stuck to their guns on that and and just made it just like a kid. And, and us adults would know, like, well, this doesn't make any sense, but it didn't make any sense as a kid, but we love it. Trying to make mm -hmm. it make sense is is where the problem came in. Yeah, and it only gets more and more convoluted as the movie franchise goes on. It makes less and less sense while they're trying to make it make more sense. You know, John Turturro, he was chewing scenery. He knew what movie he was in, but it just wasn't the right tone for this movie. His character could have been cut completely, and all the scenes with his character could have been cut completely, and we would have had the same movie, and it might have been a little bit better. You know, no offense to John Turturro. He was obviously having a lot of fun mm -hmm. while making the film, but there was no reason to have his crazy, weird character as the, you know, major agent of Sector 7. So you mean they didn't make a John Turturro action figure after the movie? <laughs> they, they probably did, and he probably transformed into a Nokia cell This phone. whole movie was just to promote the new line of John Turturro action figures. Yes, and the different clothes that he can wear and all that stuff. Yes. Yep, yep. You could take off his pants, and he would just have his underwear on. Um <laughs> would you – what What are your thoughts on that, Brian? Do you agree that Tuturo didn't need to be there? Do you think he could have changed that up or what? 
Um, you know, I guess they had, I, I don't remember the character's name, but they had the other guy with the suitcase that came to talk to the secretary of defense yep. and he already knew about sector seven. And so he was already that linkage. So I guess they probably could have maybe used him more and Totoro maybe could have gone away completely. That may have been a little bit of a, a, mm-hmm. a duplicate need there yeah. to connect, you know, everybody back to the sector seven principle. And you nailed it, at least for me, because yeah. I thought that exact same thing um, in a rewatch of the movie, which was, wait a minute, why do you need two Sector 7 guys? We already started with this one. You know, make John Tuturo just this one. Yep, agreed. Or or get rid of this one or get rid of John. But you're right, you, that was a total double up, which just added more complication that just did not need to be there. I agree. Well, I guess for me overall, just the, the movie, even the introduction is fantastic. The fact that they kept uh, Peter Cullen as a voice of Optimus Prime, I think was a strong move and something that fans liked. Um, the fact that they changed the actor who voiced Megatron, I think was a little bit more controversial and maybe lost a few people along the way because of that. I think they eventually brought him back for one of the later movies to voice Megatron, but I think it, it might have been like the fourth movie or something later in the series. Mm-hmm. But um, no, just that opening scene, you know, the, the cube, Optimus Prime with the voiceover. And then, you know, that whole opening scene, you know, love or hate the movie, you have to admit that the opening scene is fantastic when you see Blackout, this massive, massive military helicopter flying across the desert. They're trying to figure out who it is. It's not responding. You know, the tail 4500 X-ray or whatever it was, you know, that that helicopter Mm -hmm. was shot down months ago. And then when you see that thing just slowly coming in and touching down on that tarmac, and, you know, it zooms in and you see that the pilot's face flicker and you know he's a hologram. And then those rotor blades just all of a sudden ka-chunk, just come to a stock, mm-hmm. stop. And you hear that wah, 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 that traditional transformer sound. And he just stands up and starts going crazy. I mean, that is just like an absolute thrilling beginning. to the Oh, movie, yeah, for sure. Right. You know, unfortunately, it's followed with Wiki trying to sell stuff in his classroom. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great start. But it goes back to the whole thing of the robots maybe needing a little more and the humans a little less. I had the same thought as you going into the film. I, I had such – in 2007 when I sat in the theater, I was I, I was bipolar about this film. I love that Sp- Steven Spielberg was attached and I hated that Michael Bay was directing it. And that opening sequence made me so excited for what was going to come next. It was done so well. Mm-hmm. And – when when Scorponuk shot out of his chest, yep. just like you know the old sound wave and the cassettes, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was ready. I was ready for this movie. And then, like you said, they cut to a high school class where 30-year-old Shia LaBeouf is selling his grandfather's stuff, which obviously is going to mean something later in the film. <laughs> and... I, there's a jock that starts making fun of him and his teacher is making fun of him. And I'm just like, Oh no, where, what's happening? What's happening in this movie? Oh no. And it really was a roller coaster from that point on because there were certain parts of the film I loved. I thought was really true to transformers and really cool, but the vast majority of it was a huge letdown. And that's kind of where I stood with the movie. And it only got worse with future rewatches because of a lot of the things we've already talked about. 
And then when the franchise blew up and more movies started coming out, they each got worse and worse and worse, in my opinion. And we'll touch on those at a later time. Um, but it, it didn't ruin my childhood, but it definitely made me rethink what I loved about the Transformers when I was a kid. <laughs> That's how much this movie impacted me. So should we all agree that we want to keep the Transformers? We want to keep the action. We just need to minimize the humans for a little while. Oh, yeah. Get back to the basics. I think a Transformer-centric movie would be in order in a future reboot. I will say, going back to the cartoon, the original cartoon that started everything, even though it was done for marketing reasons, killing off Optimus Prime, I will say, again, the cartoon picked up kind of an interesting kind of weight to it. And it really had a good story to it that they did bring Optimus back in season three. They And that wasn't planned. Hasbro didn't plan on ever bringing him back. That was done because they realized the kids loved him so much. And marketing was like, oh, crap, we got to get Optimus back involved in this. I think all of that made for an accidental good story arc. And if maybe the Michael Bay films would have followed a similar a similar structure. I, I think you could have you could have maybe just used the blueprint of the original a little more to the letter instead of all of the extra sector seven and, and all of that stuff. Like I said, it doesn't make sense, but maybe just stick to the fact that it doesn't make sense rather than try to create this entire backstory of how it could make sense. Yeah, that's kind of a Michael Bay thing, though. I, I think he tries to somehow ground all of the action and craziness in some kind of real location or historical event, mm -hmm. right? So you've got the Hoover Dam, and the reason that the dam was built was to house Megatron, right? Or when we get into other movies, we talk about, you know, why we went to the moon, the real reason, all these different things. And so I think he tries to somehow bring it back and, and ground it in some kind of real event or real thing to make yep. it more tangible mm -hmm. can we can we discuss that at the end of the movie uh sam is making out with his girlfriend on top of another <laughs> sentient being and and optimus and ironhide are just hanging out in the background <laughs> is that not weird to anybody well the fact <laughs> that bumblebee just met him and was trying to hook him up immediately just it, it, it was it was all kind of weird <laughs> It, it really is weird. <laughs> yeah, Bumblebee's gimmick of talking through the radio, too. I mean, the only other car I can think of that did that was the murderous Christine from Stephen <laughs> King. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> Driving down the hallway <laughs> at school. <laughs> it also turns into a cube at the end of the movie. This one starts with a cube. So yes. Another parallel Good point. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Back to the human element, I, I wanted to bring this up as well. So the fact that the, uh, the cube is uh, completely destroyed at the end and uh, Optimus and the rest of the Transformers have no reason to hang out with Sam anymore, but Bumblebee is like, I will stay with him. It's like, but why? Yeah. Like you had your adventure. You don't need this kid anymore. The thing is gone. You found it. It's, it's come and gone. Megatron's, you know, in the ocean garbage pit, I guess. That's where <laughs> the government puts all of its <laughs> junk. <laughs> UFOs are down there. But Megatron's that, that, down there. 
but that just made me wonder, like, why, why Sam again? Why do you need them? They're well, there, there is a shard of cube left that Optimus takes out of uh, Megatron's chest, but uh, maybe Bumblebee is compliant with Earth law, right? Because you know, Sam put down two thousand dollars, his dad put down two thousand dollars, and he, <laughs> he, he has him. a title. Yeah. He does have a title for that car. <laughs> Although I don't, I don't know how, because Bernie Mac didn't know where that car came from. So does it even have a title? <laughs> Good point. Oh yeah. So I said that when I was watching it this weekend. I said it to my wife. I said, "How did he sign over the car to him?" Does Bumblebee have a VIN even? <laughs> How do you register him? <laughs> uh, it's oh, it's funny. in the it's in the Transformer language. His VIN. All those See, different symbols. Those are crazy little details. I would have appreciated more than Sector Seven. <laughs> We like, watched Sam sign the paperwork. Yes, a 10-minute scene in the DMV where they're arguing about the VIN number. Yeah. <laughs> Completely improvised. Well, this is registered to a 1982 Volkswagen Beetle. How is it a Camaro? Anyway, uh, you know, some funny little tidbits about the film, and you can really see insight into the making of a Michael Bay film, is that the first scene that Shia LaBeouf shot was in the junkyard when he's running away from the dogs. And when, when Bay yelled cut and you know, the animal wranglers were trying to wrangle the dogs to stop. One of the dogs didn't stop chasing him and he just had to keep running. And one of the things he was quoted saying is, here you go. You joined a Michael Bay movie, release the hounds. Uh... And then another, another scene when they were fight, when they were shooting all of the action, because Michael Bay does a lot of practical action with cars and vehicles exploding and whatnot. And then they just CGI'd the, obviously they CGI'd the Transformers. And later they used a bulletproof shield around the camera while it was shooting on the highways that they were doing chases on. But all the, all the actors and the stunt actors were just there, you know, and there was a lot of stuff blowing up around them. And once again, Shia LaBeouf um, also made a comment about that, which goes to show you his relationship with Michael Bay. But he said, you know, the, the actors are expendable, but the camera's got to be protected. <laughs> Focus on the machines, not the right. humans. That's right. Yeah. It's the, like the movie shit. That's exactly right. The other funny scene, I shouldn't say funny because it's actually dangerous and scary, but when Scorpionuk is chasing them to that city in Qatar, um, there's the sequence where the, the, where the guys are running through the sand and you can see the sand shooting up in the air and Scorponuk is behind him, behind them, just kind of going up and down in the sand. Well, when they filmed that scene, they put charges in the sand and just told the actors to run. And Michael Bay told them, if you stop running, you could die. So keep running. <laughs> because they blew up charges in the sand behind the actors and the charges were timed. So if the actors weren't fast enough, they would have gotten hurt. So if you watch that scene... And you can see three actors running while things are blowing up behind them. And it's really, you know, CGI, Scorponic behind them. There is fear on their faces. And that is not acting fear. That is truly fear because they're running and wow. they could actually die. Wow. There's just a little insight into how you make a Michael Bay lots of explosions type of movie. <laughs> It's kind of like the tough dad that teaches you how to swim by throwing you in the pool, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Except you could explode instead of drown. I don't know. <laughs> less, uh, less dramatic than, than dying um, 
uh, Orson Welles was the voice of Unicron in the 1986 cartoon. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, Citizen Kane, quite the respected, revered actor. And then towards the end of his career, you know, sort of started to, to fizzle, of course. Um, Transformers cartoon came out uh, after he died, a couple months after he died. And he was quoted talking to his biographer before he died. He says to her, um, do you know what I did last week? I played a toy. <laughs> I was a planet that ate other planets. That's what I did. And and the tone was like, I can't believe this is my life. Um, <laughs> supposedly, he's also quoted when he was offered the role as being a big fan of animation and having a, a respect for it and being very interested in doing the project. But uh, I guess... I guess death makes you think a lot of things. And the last thing that he started thinking about was how he played a toy. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. So I think this is as good a place as any to wrap up and start talking about how Transformers might have ruined our childhood. So, Brian, why don't you do the honors of telling us first? Did I think I know where this is going, but did Transformers in 2007 come out and ruin everything you knew about Transformers from the 80s? Uh, sorry guys, it really didn't for me. I may be, uh, I may be off on you guys from this one, but honestly, to me, it's, it's not a one for one build on what was there before. It's an interpretation and a change, but you know what? It was uh, what, 20 years later. So, uh, I'm, I'm okay with it evolving. I, I still think it's not perfect. Some things could be better. But it did not ruin my childhood. If anything, it built on it because now I can share it with a new generation in my household. I'm going to agree. It it didn't didn't ruin my childhood at all. I know I've got my my share of uh, of complaints with it, but ultimately, this is a new take on the Transformers property, and and I think while it it certainly was overcomplicated, it it shifted focus from the Transformers to the humans. And, and not even the same humans from the old cartoon, brand new humans that just shared a last name. I think it ultimately gives us more Transformers to love. And I just wish they would have done a few things a little bit better, like Brian said, to be on a little bit more of a one for one. But then again, looking back at where it came from in the 1986 cartoons, that it, it really doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form, why robots would do this, why it was coincidental that they came to a planet where they could adapt themselves to other things, except to be a product to be sold in toy stores. So with all of that in mind, nope, childhood intact. I will echo everything that you just said, Eric. I completely agree with it all. I don't really have anything to add. So my childhood is not ruined. Um, I think I like the Bay Transformer movies the least of the three of us. And I will have a lot more to say as we grow in this franchise through the next six or five movies we'll talk about from Transformers 2 through 5 and Bumblebee, uh, which we'll do on later episodes, not to tease or anything. But there's a lot to not like in what was done in 2007 on. But there's some fun things that were given to us too. And you just got to appreciate what you get and shrug off the things that you don't like. So that's kind of where I stand with Transformers. Didn't ruin my childhood either. And a a slight tease on those next episodes. Uh, 
so everybody's aware, Transformers the movie has the highest Rotten Tomatoes at 58%, and it only <laughs> goes down from there. That's right. <laughs> so sad. But it was still a commercial success. Did you guys look up the revenue numbers on these oh, movies? Yeah, for sure. Oh, it's incredible. Sure. I mean, and, you know, not to beleaguer the point, but these movies aren't just made for U.S. audiences. Michael Bay knows how to make a movie that will do well in China. And so future future installments definitely play to that as well. And we'll talk about those when we get to them. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in. And uh, now we'll go around the table and, and talk about where we can be found. So, Brian, if anybody wants to find out more about you or, or listen to your musings online, can they? And where can they do that? Nothing that's fully out there, but if I got something, I'll let you know. All right. Eric, where can people find you? Uh, I can be found on my other podcast, Everything, Anything, and Nothing Really. You can get it on Podbean, YouTube, iTunes, wherever podcasts are sold. And for me, you can follow me at Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And uh, sparingly, I've been on uh, some episodes from shows in the Real Fans Podcast Network, Real Fans for Real Movies, Holy Batcast, the All Batman Podcast, Disorder Every Disney Film in Order, and Grim Grinning Hosts, a podcast about theme parks. Thank you all for joining us, and we hope this podcast didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. With the AllSpark gone, we cannot return life to our planet. And fate has yielded its reward. A new world to call home. We live among its people now, hiding in plain sight, but watching over them in secret, waiting, protecting. I have witnessed their capacity for courage, and though we are worlds apart, like us, there's more to them than meets the eye. I am Optimus Prime. And I send this message to any surviving Autobots taking refuge among the stars. We are here. We are waiting. Speaking of Unicron before, Eric, one other point for you. And this was a big question that I had in my mind when I was watching the animated movie. Is like, how does no one see this guy coming? Right. It's a planet that eats planets. It's huge. And everybody's always like, oh, what's that? Like it's right over their shoulder. So they have these high-tech weapons, the ability to transform and fly through space and dodge, you know, the, these shots getting shot at them. Nobody can see a planet coming at you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Gravity, nothing was affected. Just, yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> Something's all of a sudden grabbing your planet and pulling it in. <laughs> It's out of the blue.